And um, the banners that we put up, particularly on social media in our Facebook page, is just so that you can get a caption. The banners are made up from the summaries of the notes to the particular message. So you can read it and listen to the message, then it gives you a better holistic picture. Acts 9 to 12 will look at being called to serve, particularly looking at the life of Paul and Peter in the unique ways they were called to serve God. Paul, Paul who be, Saul, who became Paul, called from a very radical background and radicalized, as it were, to the glory of God. And Peter, who was part of the movement of the discipleship right into apostleship, gaining a new lease of understanding about how God was not a respecter of persons. And by himself, he said so in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, that I now know that God is not a respecter of persons because God anointed Jesus Christ and he went about doing those things by the Holy Ghost. And God led him to see how he should respect the Gentiles and go to the Gentiles as well. And then we looked at greater works in Acts chapter 13, 14, and 15. We saw how Paul was separated. The Bible says the Holy Spirit said, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work wherewith I have called them. And um, in verse 14, we began to see them manifest in places like Econom, doing things that they had never done before, things that had not been seen in the church history, and the miraculous feats that no one had ever encountered. We saw that at Econom, and Paul and Silas put in prison in Acts chapter 15, and by God's divine power, delivered, rescued, great, awesome things, showing the power of God truly with, with these people. And Acts 16 to 18 is one uh, of the series that I could never uh, just get over for, for, for days on end. And when we were on those series, I was really meditating on the power of divine connections. Acts 16, 17, 18, how God connected Paul to the likes of Timothy in Acts chapter 16, to the likes of Lydia and uh, so on and so forth. And Acts chapter 17, God taking him right down to Antioch, meeting these people who were very Berean in nature, who wanted to know a lot about God, but yet they were going about it the wrong way. And Acts chapter 17, verse 28, he said to them, we know the God that you are trying to seek, my paraphrase. Because this God, is, it, it is in him we live and move and have our being. And then in Acts chapter 18, we saw again Paul going forth and things happening in diverse ways there. And all that steps, as we saw last week in Acts chapter 19, 20, and 21, was our focus. Where we saw how God led Paul into different aspects of the higher realms of the assignment as God was leading him from place to place and justifying him. So today we have come to a point where Paul's ministry has got to a very critical stage. Paul has been winning souls, dramatic things happening all over the world, all over the land, the land of Asia, everywhere he went, outside Jerusalem. And so the, there was big uproar against Paul. And uh, we come to the place where the empowerment, as we will call this message today, I call it the empowerment for vindication. He was being accused of perverting the way of the Jews. He was being accused of being that person who wanted to spoil uh, the, the uh, as it were, the, the religion and the theology of the Jewish people. And so Paul needed to be vindicated. He needed the power of the Holy Spirit to vindicate him. And I find that in our lives as witnesses, we also must be empowered for this kind of vindication. We also must be empowered for this ability to overcome everything that the enemy may want to be using against us, either to disempower us in being faithful witnesses or to accuse us of things that have happened in time past 
or things that we may have fallen into. And so we need to understand that vindication. This is why I want to thank God for the live singers and the way they select the songs for every theme. I know they have a pre-knowledge of what the themes are from week to week, like we all do from our notices. But if you look at all the songs we sang today, it has gone in such a way that it just continues to remind us of what Jesus did for us. The Bible says he knew no sin and became sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. And that is why we stand on the power of being vindicated today. And the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but according to the spirit. So a believer that does not enjoy the empowerment for vindication will walk about in guilt, will have a watered-down version of their message, will have an unsure and unrealistic view of who they are. And the devil can take advantage of this and make us less powerful or potent in the delivery of our message. May the Lord continue to expound his word in our lives in the name of Jesus. And so I'd like us to read our key verse from Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The Bible says, let's read together. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Hallelujah. And so this is very important. So whilst we have gone through things to learn from Acts chapter 1 right through to Acts chapter 21, as I've tried to summarize very quickly, Acts chapter 22, 23, and 24, I found a common theme. Now, this series that we are doing is as God laid it on my heart for this time. I have said to you many times again and again that the message of the Bible is such that we need to look at it seasonally. We can go back through Acts chapter 1 to 21 again, and the Holy Spirit will expound different things completely. And you won't find these themes anywhere because they have not been copied from anyone. They have only been as God laid it on my heart for us to look at at this point in time so that we can be empowered the way God wants us to be empowered. Amen. And so we are looking at the, uh, the lesson from Acts chapter 22 to 24. One clear thing we see in these three chapters is how Paul enjoyed an over, uh, the power to overcome persecution through this principle of vindication. It came right through as a thread in the themes. Vindication, when we talk about vindication, is just a proof of our justification. It's what confers on us the rights that God has given to us. And I would like us to be very, very attentive and focused in this because this is not something that is usually taught in this way in the body of Christ. And I think it's one of the things we miss out. Because when you don't know who you are or what has been given you, you are likely to abuse what you have. It was the legendary Miles Monroe that said, if you don't know the purpose of a thing, abuse is inevitable. And that includes our life. That is why many people live life but not really live. You understand what I mean? Because the understanding of the purpose and who we are is not as clear. But God will grant us understanding. I say God will grant us greater understanding in the name of Jesus. Let's read Romans chapter 8 verse 30 to understand why we need to to know and have the proof of our justification. Romans 8 30, let's read together. He said what? Moreover whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, 
this he also glorified. So we know that the end of it all is glory. Somebody say glory. This is the end of it all. Going to meet him and to be with him forever in our glorified state is what is going to end it all. But the Bible says it started with the foreknowledge. Verse 29 talks about we who he foreknew. We are also the ones he predestined to be conformed to the glory of the image of his son. He said, therefore, moreover, these people, we whom he predestined, he called. And we said in Acts chapter 13 to 15 that we are called to serve. Because he said, separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work wherewith I have called them. You and I have a work wherewith he has called us. I have a work he has called me. You have a work he has called you. The body of Christ has a work collectively in the ministry of reconciliation where he has called us. So every one of us at the macro level and micro level have a calling. Praise the Lord. But the Bible says that calling is not it all. We whom he also called, he also justified. Justified. Somebody said the word justified is like he gave us a gift such that it is just as though we never sinned. So powerful. We are justified because without justification we cannot enjoy glory. He said them whom he called, them he also justified. Now, this justification is something that we have to be presenting before the enemy, before the accuser, before the one who seeks to always accuse the brethren, before the one who seeks to always disempower the brethren, because we have been justified. When something has been paid for, you know how it is when you are walking through those, uh, those uh, sensory things at the security in, in most departmental stores, and um, you know you have paid for your product on you, and then somehow it goes off. You know the confidence by which you used to turn around. You know, you turn around, you wait there, because you know that you have every proof on you that you have paid for it. So you don't run. Only a foolish person who has paid for something will hear such an alarm and still take off running. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Only a very foolish person or somebody who actually stole the item. So we don't behave like thieves who steal items when we are harassed by the devil, but rather we present our case, we present our receipt. Somebody said, oh yes, salvation is free, so it should all be free. Uh, Freely we have received, freely we must give, and that is all very true, it's all scriptural, but we must understand that somebody paid for it, for it to be free. Somebody paid for it. Somebody said somebody paid for it. He paid and paid the, the most precious price anybody could pay, his own life. And so you and I can enjoy it, but that's what gives us our justification. The person that paid is, by the way, if you don't know, and you're hearing this for the first time, the person that paid is Jesus Christ, is nobody else. He paid with his life so that you and I can be justified if we are born again. And so the power of vindication we saw in raw manifestation in the life of Paul in Acts chapter 22, 23, and 24. I would like to quickly take you through... Three captions I've given as I've tried to do in this series. It's very difficult to zero in on one because at times you find them interwoven in the scriptures. So just understand it's just for the sake of following that I'm trying to put each chapter into a class. It doesn't mean that that's all it talks about. At times you will see some of the other things that I will mention later even in the first chapter and so on and so forth. But in the first, uh, in the three chapters, I want us to see three ways that Paul enjoyed power for to be an effective witness through vindication that we also must desire to have in our lives at all times. 
He was vindicated through the power. The first one is in Acts 22. He was vindicated through the power of heavenly citizenship. Somebody say heavenly citizenship. Say heavenly citizenship. I know the word citizen is very long, so it's citizenship. So it's a mouthful, but then just pronounce it. Heavenly citizenship. Paul was a man who understood his natural citizenship, and we saw him demonstrate it in very, very unique ways. But at the same time, what we saw Paul manifest in leveraging his earthly citizenship is what God wants us. As God opened my eyes to see this, I was just shouting in my room. I said, wow, this is fantastic. God wants us to understand that this is how we also need to leverage our heavenly citizenship. In Acts chapter 22, verse 1, we read this. And those of you who are listening by audio or watching video, we had a scripture reading from Acts 22, from verse 1 to 30, as part of what we are sharing this morning. Take time to read that. But basically, for this series, read Acts 22, Acts 23, and Acts 24. And God will bless you in Jesus' name. Now, Acts 22, from verse 1. Let's read again. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. Verse 2, go on. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they all kept the more silent. Then he said, verse 3, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of who? Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you are this day. And you see, it was important that this happened because they were about to go and punish him. As a matter of fact, if you read the last few verses of Acts chapter 21, the Bible says as he was going up the steps, he said, Brethren, can I speak something? And the, the, the centurion who was there said, Do you speak Greek? And just after that, this happened. He said, I am indeed a Jew. And then, sorry, in verse, in verse 1, the Bible says, he, he said, hear my defense before you. And then they heard that he spoke in Hebrew language or Aramaic. So they were surprised. Who is this character? Speaks Greek, speaks Hebrew. He's, he's uh, a Jewish citizen. And so they began to give him attention. And uh, he began to tell them that he can relate to them. That I was zealous in your way. You are Jewish people who are condemning the way, as it is called, they call it the Nazarene sect, but we know that that is the Christians. From Acts chapter 12, they were called the Christians. So they were against it. And he said, I understand. He said, I was also zealous toward God as you are all this day. So I can relate with you. I can understand where you are coming from. And then he began to tell them how he got converted. We read that in the scripture reading and how God showed him the way. And God told him that he was going to send him forth to the Gentiles. And they were so annoyed at hearing that. And in verse 22, the Bible says, after he said, God said he will send him to the Gentiles because the Jews were going to re uh, 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 rebel against him. Let's read what he said to them. The Bible says, and they listened to him. Let's go together. And they listened to him until this word. The word was that he said, God would send him to the Gentiles. And they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Verse 23. Then, as they cried out, I want you to be reading with me. Then, as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, they cried out. They got so annoyed and they got so offended. 
And uh, let's go straight to verse 25. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by. Now listen to this again. Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Which kind of character is this? You are Jewish. You speak Greek. You are Jewish. You speak Aramaic. You are a Roman citizen. And he began to unleash everything that he was that they were also. The people who wanted to condemn him were Jews. He said, I can relate with you. You are zealous for God the way I was. It quietened them down a bit. But he said, you know what? God has sent me to the Gentiles. They were upset. And then when they were about to deal with him again, the Roman soldiers who were around him heard him say, are you going to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And look at this, verse 26. Let's read verse 26. Let's read loud and clear. When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, take care what you do. For this man is what? A Roman. <laughs> this character is also a Roman. This is what I see. God opened my eyes to see that this is what heavenly citizenship is all about. Where we are able to be all things to all men in such a way that it becomes very difficult for the systems of this world to contain us. I always quote for you what God said that what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 verse 8, that as the, as the wind blows where no one listed or understands, so is he who is born of the Spirit. A child of God must understand that the first power of vindication that we have is our heavenly citizenship. We must understand that we are vindicated because Christ has made us heavenly citizens. Look at what happened in verse 27. The Bible says, then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? He said what? Yes. Verse 28. Then the commander answered, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Hallelujah. This man said, this thing that you said you are, I had to obtain it with a large sum. Some of us who migrated from other countries and are living in this country or living in another country, if you are listening to this in another country that you migrated to, will agree that at times becoming a citizen of another country that is not the country of your birth can be a very expensive process. You know what I mean by that? It can be very expensive. That citizen, that, that soldier, that centurion said, to, sorry, the commander said to uh, Paul, he said, you know what? I obtained my own Roman citizenship with a lot of money. It cost me a large sum, and you are born in it. What does that mean to us? The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, John chapter 3, verse 3, Except a man be what? Born again. Somebody say, born again. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Many people are trying to pay their way into the kingdom. Many people are trying to justify their morality and justify their actions as becoming members of the kingdom. Trying to pay their way as it were. But we who have been born again should understand that we are born just like Paul was born symbolically as a Roman citizen. That they could no longer scourge him the way they wanted to. We also are exempted from the scourgings of the enemy. I say you will continue to be exempted in the mighty name of Jesus. This does not mean that we will not go through the sufferings and the challenges of life. But it only means that those things will not be in a position to condemn us and condemn us permanently. We must understand this as a people who have been vindicated. The Bible says, verse 29, let's read it together. Then immediately... 
those who were about to examine him did what? Withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was what? A Roman. And because he had bound him. The power of heavenly citizenship. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 that we are citizens of heaven. Philippians 3.20, let's read that together. He said, for our citizenship is what? In heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As citizens of heaven, we draw resources from heaven. Ephesians 1.3 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, what? With every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians one. Verse 3, every citizen of heaven is blessed with spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. This is very important. It includes the things that we need in order to be able to function as witnesses. It includes the things that we need in order to be able to live life and live it victoriously. We must understand the power of our citizenship. Many of us revere our natural citizenships much more than our heavenly citizenship. We're happy with our British citizenship. We're happy with our American citizenship. We enjoy our Nigerian citizenship. We enjoy our South African and all nationalities that we belong. And we carry our passports confidently everywhere we go. But you see, if you understand the right of citizenship in the natural, you will know how important it is for you to treasure your citizenship that is heavenly. It is so powerful. The power of a citizen is the ability to benefit from every right and privileges that his nation offers to everyone who is called a citizen. The right of a citizen is free passage in and out of his country of citizenship at any time and at any point. It is so important that we understand this. And some of us, like I said, would understand this better because we, we have multiple citizenship or we, we have citizenship of countries and we are also able to enjoy what those countries offer us as citizens. But we do not know that as heavenly citizens, we have much more that our heavenly country offers us that empowers us to be able to be the witnesses that God wants us to be here. It makes us have the ability to have dominion in different ways. The same way Paul could not allow the Jews to trap him. The same way Paul could not allow the Romans to trap him. The same way he got the language to speak to the Greek. The same way he could speak to those who could only speak Hebrew. This is the same way God has made you and I to have the ability to be effective. Where we work, we are not supposed to work like ordinary people. The businesses we do, we are not supposed to operate like ordinary people. We are meant to operate like those who are operating from God's heavenly resources. Because Ephesians 1.3 tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And from today I pray that the heavenly citizenship that you have will continue to speak for your vindication. It will continue to bring you through when you come through challenges of life. The same way Paul could not be maligned. The same way they could not contain him. My God will keep making way for you even where there seems to be no way. In the mighty name of Jesus. 
We need to understand this so that we can continue to enjoy that which God has given to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, the Bible says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win the more. Part of what our heavenly citizenship does is that it gives us the power to be a servant to all. It gives us the power to be able to be all things to all men. And if you go on reading verse 20 and so on, it says, For to the Jew, I became a Jew. And to those who are without the law, I became as one, as not unto the law, and so on and so forth. Because heavenly citizenship gives you the wherewithal to be able to be a servant to all. We limit ourselves because we do not understand this. And some of you are looking at me and saying, but Pastor David, what does this uh, mean? Does that mean that, you know, as I witness alone, is that the only time my heavenly citizenship is, is important? That as I witness to people, then I have the wisdom to relate with them or the ability to relate with them to be able to witness. That is true. That is part of it. But even the way you function, you are meant to operate in realms that are different from those that you work with. Check the entire scriptures. Everyone who operated these heavenly gifts were people who were very distinguished. When the man called Philip was called uh, as a deacon or appointed as a deacon in Acts chapter 6, the next things we heard of Philip were phenomenal things because God was with him. The man who understands heavenly citizenship is always different from his peers. We knew that Stephen and Philip were very different deacons altogether. Philip was martyred, Stephen was martyred in time, but Philip, we still heard about him up to Acts chapter 20. We saw that his four daughters became prophets. It is so important that we understand that we must not live mediocre lives. We must not live like ordinary people because we are not ordinary people when we have the citizenship of heaven. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so we must all be fully rest assured that we are vindicated because we are citizens of heaven. The second thing I would like us to quickly do, look at, is in Acts chapter 23. And this is the power of a good conscience. What is the first power we looked at? The power of what? Heavenly citizenship. And this one is the power of a good conscience. Acts chapter 23, verse 1. The Bible says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, what? Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Verse 2. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him where? On the mouth. Go straight to verse 10. After that, he said a few things, but let's go straight to verse 10. Let's read together now. Now, when there arose a great dissension, the commander fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. Verse 11, But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you must also bear witness at Rome. Hallelujah. A good conscience is very essential in keeping our faith active. Go back to verse 1. The Bible says, he said to them, I have lived in all good conscience. Thank you. Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Very important for us to understand the power of a good conscience 
keeps your faith alive. The devil will do everything he can to rob you of a good conscience. Because he knows that as long as you cannot hold a good conscience, you can never be a balanced Christian. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, let's read 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 18. The Bible says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Many of us stop at this verse, that there are prophecies with which we should wage good warfare. But look at verse 19. This is how you can wage a good warfare every time with all the prophecies that have been spoken concerning you. Let's read verse 19 loud and clear. Having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. When you throw away your conscience, the making of your faith a shipwreck becomes a potential. Your good conscience is what keeps you from faith to faith. Many believers have taken their conscience, buried it, and are no longer relating with it, and are trying to operate by faith. So you find that such people are going about and doing things that are like a shipwreck. They are like accidents waiting to happen. No conscience. People who are meant to live with a good conscience before God, living a life that always lets them know when they veer off and when they do things that are inappropriate and they are able to go before God and ask for forgiveness and are able to live from faith to faith by it. The body of Christ must continue to come back to the place of living with a good conscience. If we don't live with a good conscience, we will be brutal. We will be very, very irresponsible. As some of you knew, we had a short family holiday to, to, to Poland uh, the week before last, and I've been talking about it a lot because, in all honesty, for the first time in my life, I think I saw the peak of man's inhumanity to man. And um, obviously, we've read it in books, we've seen videos, but there's nothing like experiencing it physically and seeing the historical facts. And obviously, no human being can operate at that level of wickedness that Hitler and the men that were around him operated in the 40s, in the 30s and 40s, if not that they had taken their conscience and buried it and it no longer existed with them at all. A good conscience keeps you in the good place of faith. Hallelujah. We have believers today who, out of lack of a good conscience, can enjoy good with you today, but the next day, for whatever reason whatsoever, they can become the most vicious at you because of a lack of a good conscience. If conscience is alive and is true, it should tell such people that there is a way to amicably look into things that the enemy may want to use to cause us to be separated, to cause us to be divided. It takes a good conscience. I have learned in life that the easiest way to avoid having any issue with anybody is to keep in my permanent memory bank any good thing I know about them. So it becomes very difficult and virtually almost impossible for the enemy to make me ever see them and in a bad light. Because I have stored good inside me. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 verse 21, he said, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. 
for you to have a good conscience, for you to have a faith that is going to achieve the prophecies that have been spoken concerning you, you must have a good conscience. Paul said, faith and a good conscience, and a good conscience. Many people have faith, but no good conscience. Faith does not deliver without a good conscience. We must understand, and this principle, this power of a good conscience is what Paul leveraged. Otherwise, the devil was trying to batter him and to let him know that he was a killer of those who were of the way. But Paul said, I live in a good conscience. Because ever since God appeared to him and Christ appeared to him and got him converted, he never went back. He was a man who kept on doing the things that God has called him to do. I pray that God will ignite in us this power of a good conscience. I say to ignite in us this power of a good conscience. In the name of Jesus. It is a good conscience that keeps a marriage. It's a good conscience that helps the parent to be committed to being a parent to the very end. It is a good conscience that makes you walk effectively where you walk. It is a good conscience that makes you commit to church and commit to church without the supervision of anyone, without anyone phoning you and calling you and asking. Just commit. It's a good conscience. It's a good conscience that makes you not want to cheat believers or, or, or partners, whether they are believers or not, in business. It's a good conscience. You know, the world will suffer more the more we kill the good conscience. The more we are allowing the good conscience to thrive, the more we can enjoy the benefits of a society. We are able to do many things because of a good conscience. You, 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 you give, your, you give your, 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 your details, your life details, your, 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 your date of birth, your bank details, your everything to somebody you don't know at the end of the phone because you believe that they have a good conscience. You understand what I'm talking about? They are a sales rep. You've never met them. They may be in India. They may be in, in Hertfordshire. It doesn't matter. And then they say, what's your date of birth? You say, this, this, this. What's your sort code? You say, this, because you want to do a transaction of a mobile phone or something. But because you believe that they have a good conscience and those records cannot be maliciously used. I know there are systems that try to check those things these days, but they can still easily use it. So if we take out good conscience, it becomes very difficult for even society to function, not to talk of the body of Christ. Paul said, let's read verse 19 again, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. You will not suffer shipwreck in the name of Jesus. Finally, I want to talk about the power of wisdom. This is Acts chapter 24, the power of wisdom. Acts 24 verse 10. The Bible says, Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. I want us to read from verse 11 together very quickly. Because you may ascertain, verse 11, Because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. Now look at what he, how he gave his account of worship in Jerusalem and study it. Verse 12. Let's go now. Verse 12. And they neither found in me in the temple, sorry, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd either in the synagogues or in the city. Very simple. They never found me doing anything untoward. What did they find? Verse 13. Verse 13. The Bible says, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. 
Verse 14, um, 14. He said, But this I confess to you according to the way which they call a sect. So I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Verse 15. He said, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, of both the just and the unjust. And of course, they did not like that, but verse 16. Verse 16, he said, This being so, I myself always strive to have what? A conscience without offense toward God and men. Again, the word conscience comes out. But the emphasis here is the power of godly wisdom. The power of wisdom, godly wisdom. Paul said, You could not find anything in me. Jesus said the same thing. He said, The prince of this world comes, but he found nothing in me. We need According to the Bible in Matthew chapter 10 verse 16, we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Matthew 10 16, the Bible says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents. That's Matthew 10 16. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as what? As doves. Please note that is Matthew 10, 16. You and I need to know how to be wise as serpents. As we interact from day to day, many believers cannot keep job, cannot keep uh, uh, um, uh, good business relationships, cannot keep relationships, even natural relationships with friends together today because we are not wise. The folly of this world is killing a lot of our potential to be able to be effective witnesses. If we don't use... He said, I went into the temple and nobody could find anything against me. So at times we will come across even Christians who don't have a balanced view of the gospel. Nothing should lead to an argument. Nothing should lead to strife. We must do it in a good conscience and also be patient enough to reason with people. In your workplace, people will not always, or the people you contact from time to time, they will not always see things from your perspective. You must appreciate this and you must be patient with people. At times, some people will really get on your nerves. But you cannot witness to them if you allow a friction. You must be patient enough to allow God to give you that wisdom to know how to be patient with each one. And finally, Psalm 26 verse 1. We read that together and we close. Psalm 26 verse 1. Let's shout it out together. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not sleep. I decree that from today you will keep walking in integrity. Integrity means you have reverence and due regard for the word of God above all else. And you also trust in the Lord so that your foot and your feet will not slip in Jesus' name. I pray for you today, my brothers and sisters, that whatever God wants for you to achieve as an effective witness will surely be delivered into your life. You will minister to the right people. The Lord will bless the work of your hands. Everything you desire in righteousness, as you walk in the power of vindication, my God will deliver them to you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Let's rise to our feet and lift your hands.